I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Lawrence, I'd like to complete a tackle on your face right now, mate. It's Wednesday, which means it's time for the front three with me, Adam Boltwood, the one and only Lawrence McKenna. Live from London. And the king of stats, Dave O'Brien. Or is he? Maybe not. Maybe yeah. not. You know, or is he? Is he just opinion? Just or has tactics? He been, has he been, yeah, is it, is it all has just opinion on numbers? Has he yeah. been, has he been dethroned? Has he been defrocked? Was he just a fucking, was it, was it just the king's, the, 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 the king's robes? Ooh, what was it? We'll find out on tomorrow's game. <laughs> a little teaser there. We did record that today. Anyway, listen, guys, thank you very much for listening to the front three. On this week's show, we're going to be giving a bit of Champions League reaction. We're also going to be talking about the new ticket price news. That away tickets have been capped at £30 in the Premier League. Also a bit about Benitez and, of course, a big Europa League preview. We've got Nina Kauser from the Anfield Index coming on the show to talk about Manchester United Liverpool, which is very exciting. Uh, before all that, though, comment yeah. of the week. Oh, I love As always, now if you want to get in with a shout for comment of the week, make sure you get on your podcast app and leave us a review and preferably a five-star rating. This week we had a nice one from Skippy140 who simply entitled their review, The Hair. Only here for Dave's wonder of a perm. Five stars. (laughs) So there you have it. I mean, Dave's hair is apparently uh, worthy of five stars, which which is always nice to see. A lad called uh, Billy on Twitter um, sent me a picture of George Michael uh, in his prime, and his hair looked wow. a little like mine. It's like so looking I might in the mirror. Need a haircut. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think that's the uh, the main conclusion to take from that. I mean, some people consider George Michael a style icon, Dave. This is true, and I'd like to consider myself nearly a style icon, but maybe I need a little bit of work. And also, I think you, you also do enjoy going to parks and hanging out in bushes, don't you? So there are sort of... <laughs> the similarities there, Lawrence. You're not yeah, wrong there, mate. Massive similarities, yeah. It's not just one thing. He sort of waits in bushes around. around. He's like, it's cool, lads. I've had five take-ons this week. It's been great. <laughs> I like how you twisted that around. <laughs> Lawrence, I'd like to complete a tackle on your face right now, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, mate. Wow. That, that actually does sound like what I heard you offered that guy. Yeah. <laughs> that sounded worse than uh, you want to, Sorry, Dave, you want imagine. to complete the tackle on someone's face? <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, well, I think that's what I was saying. Yeah, maybe a high okay. foot. Let's move on to some Champions League reaction, Lawrence. First yeah. off, Chelsea a four-two defeat on aggregate. Hazard injured, Costa injured. Not a great night for for Goose Hiddings' team, Lawrence. No, no, not a great night for Mourinho or Goose Hiddings' team, is it? Um, 
I think this was a very much confidence thing. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of belief from within the PSG squad, I think, that they will be able to overcome Chelsea. Chelsea have become somewhat of the perennial bad guys within Europe after their, uh, especially against PSG, I think, because after their whole pushing a certain number of public off um, the underground. Uh, did you see the, the picture today of uh, the guy, all those guys who dressed up in the complete white suits? I don't know if it's an actual, I don't know if it's an actual thing that happened or whether it's just sort of, it's obviously done on the London Underground, but it's mm. a load of guys sitting in those like completely white, white morph suits, yeah. basically making the point you have to be white to ride the Underground to go get to Chelsea. Mm. <laughs> it, it's, I mean, it is, uh, Chelsea is, a, uh, you know, they've the, the, become somewhat of an institution, but people are now questioning uh, how quickly the wheels can come off a project, especially when your top players aren't performing that was the key difference between mm. PSG and Chelsea tonight. I think that's really interesting, the point that Lawrence raises there, Dave. This now sort of ends, you'd say, ends any chance of Chelsea qualifying for the Champions League next season, in which case it will be the first time they won't be in the competition under Roman Abramovich. It does somewhat illustrate how far Chelsea have fallen behind certain elite teams. There are only 10 points. I think it's quite, it's quite big. I think it's the lack of integration of youth that's the massive problem at the club. We all know that. But today it kind of shows, you know, playing Kennedy at left-back and having Baba Rahman at the bench. I, don't, I really don't understand that move. You're playing a, an attacker, a left-winger, a left-back in a really key Champions League tie that you need to be able to be defensively sound and then look to, you know, nick a goal. I think Chelsea were quite impressive from time to time in the game. They nicked the ball um, in dangerous areas against PSG and were attacking their back four. You know, Diego Costa was a massive loss for them. I think if he'd stayed on for the rest of the game, this result would have been very, very different because there was a number of times Pedro nicked the ball in the final third, gave it to Diego Costa, and then they were attacking the two centre-acts that looked very, very vulnerable. So it's going to be interesting. I think Chelsea do need to update their side, their squad. They need to bring these young players back. Solanke, Loftus-Cheek, we've all spoke about all these players, but they just need to do it. They need to spend a season doing that. They need to spend a season, maybe come, you know, what, what they've done so badly this season, why not have another season in the wilderness, but then bring these young players through and then have a court of Chelsea players that have been brought through the academy because, to move the club on. Because, Dave, I mean, part of the problem is, with, I mean, I see a point. I see both of our sides to that, essentially, because what I was saying was that the court, you know, the big players didn't perform tonight, which is their immediate problem. You were talking about a long-term issue at Chelsea. And, you know, we, obviously we take for granted that Chelsea is somewhat of an institution. But I think if you go anywhere else or you sort of look at the model, then there are, there are very key flaws to what Chelsea have built. And that's not the fans' fault. The fans are obviously supporters of the club that they're geographically locked to. But, Dave, a few years ago at Manchester United... I mean, you could say, you could argue that whoever you put in from the academy will, will go well. But a few years ago at Manchester United, the academy offerings weren't as fruitful as maybe you would argue, or, you know, Stephen Housen would argue they are now. You had Tom Cleverley coming through, who now people say, oh, you know, he wasn't good enough. He was never going to be whoa, whoa. central like, to I the think, team. I think the thing with Tom Cleverley, though, before everyone jumps on the hate Tom Cleverley bandwagon, Tom Cleverley was one of the best players at the start of the season under Ferguson when we last won the league. But that's what I'm saying, that. Dave. That, Dave, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that he's a bad player. That that's not uh, that's not a fair evaluation of Tom Cleverley, who's uh, you know a, a, a decent Premier League midfielder. But the point would also be made that if you don't integrate that into your system effectively and well, and have someone who can also set an example for those players, then sometimes things tail away, and it's all a question of timing sometimes for teams because sometimes youth comes through and it just doesn't get taken on by a side. You know, you look at Tom Ince, the way that he's now having to find teams or had to find teams over the last few years because Liverpool couldn't bring him through at the right time. And there's a number of things that you have to factor in with Chelsea along those lines. Is that also, is Chelsea actually 
so much of a draw when you look at what other people are offering people. But 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 when them. when you when you when your teams won the Champions League equivalent at youth level last season, you don't integrate any of those players. Is that not a massive failing at youth level? Is that not a complete a, no, Dave, a breakdown Dave, of, a, so, of a club's youth policy to their first team? Is there no? But you know, it's, it's also one, not even one of those players has failing. come through. Yeah, and I agree agree with what you're saying but I'm also saying there has to be an overall evaluation of the culture that Roman Abramovich has brought in at the club because whether Mourinho was there or not whichever manager was there in that time didn't bring you through in you know so it's not just a Mourinho era thing it's a sort of a it's a it's a wider institution oh, no 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 I completely agree but I, what, what, I just think that the failings recently have been so down for this that it seems like a, a solution that they have to go down that line of of being um, in the mid-table for a season or not, you know, why not give these, how do you know these young players aren't going to turn around and, and perform very, very well and impress and, and score goals and, you know, defend well. We, the thing is with Chelsea, they've not tried it. They've not gone, right, let's do it. They do, they've, they've built this academy. They've spent all this money. Similar to PSG, PSG are now in the semi-finals of the U, um, UEFA Youth League. But will any of those players get a shout at any time? Probably not, but it's it's just a it seems like a really strange thing that these clubs that are superpowers now that have got new money Chelsea, PSG, Manchester City. You'd argue that um, Chelsea and PSG are probably not going to develop these young players, but then Man City look like the only ones likely to. But they've not brought anyone through yet. Again, a massive problem. Spend all this mm. money on your academy and not bring anyone through. It's kind of worthless. Yeah, but Dave, Dave I mean, how long does an academy take? And that's the thing. That's the thing with Man City. That's the thing with City. They're saying it's taking six years, but I think Chelsea are far ahead in their cycle because obviously Abramovich came earlier. They got the investment earlier. They should be producing players now. They are producing players that are of a European standard of their age group, but they're not integrating them into the first team, which is a crazy. There is that question mark over what the plan is, short term and long term for Chelsea. I think you're pointing to it there, Dave, with the the academy set up at Chelsea. Even in the short term, it seemed they did have a plan when Mourinho came back. Uh, he sort of talked about bringing the young players through. Obviously, that didn't work out. And as Lawrence says, there is that culture at Chelsea where you know the manager is dispatched pretty ruthlessly. And Chelsea are almost back to square one now, where they're going to be getting in a new manager in the summer, whether it's Antonio Conte or Diego Simeone, looking more likely to be Conte, of course. And there is going to be that turnover of players. And, and they are back to square one in a way. And it's sort of... It's difficult to well, establish. Not one, Adam, because because we they I mean that youth is still there. You know the youth isn't evacuating the club completely. But I think even in terms of the key players, I think you know there's a lot of question marks over Hazard. I think when that new manager comes in, there'll be question marks over a number of players. We've we've seen Diego Costa's future question this uh, this season already. I think. Yes, there are youth prospects coming through. Maybe not as many as you know the, the fans would hope at Chelsea. But I think there is that there is that question of what is the plan at Chelsea because it seems to reset every couple of years. There is no consistency there. No, I completely agree. I think that's the, that is the underlying issue. And I think someone like Conte, if he does, does come in, will maybe will stabilise that ship. You know, we saw what he did at Juventus in the four years he was there. You know, to get yeah, Dave, after he, didn't, he didn't. He didn't bring. He didn't bring youth through in that time. That'll be the Conte, problem again. That's, 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 that's the thing, isn't it? Again, again, correctly evaluated there. That it's not going to be a youth situation. Conte's a manager that will, you know, he'll look for players that are in the game so now. He, he said you can't, to to, you can't go to uh, an 100, I think it's something along the lines of you can't go to a 100 euro restaurant with 10 euros. 
And I think that, that that's, again, I mean, that's part of the problem is that, you know, with all you, you sort of feel, I guess the feeling or the culture of idea is that you're falling behind other people if you don't invest in the same way as PSG invest or you don't invest in the same way as Manchester United invest or uh, Liverpool or Real Madrid but or Barcelona. I think, I think the thing that you're, we're looking at there, right, so some of these players that have played at the, the highest youth level for Chelsea, like mm. in five years' time, they could be worth 90 million, 100 million. And I think that's the... The planning that potentially you need to have right now in football, because then the I think that maybe so then, then I do think that there possibly has to be, uh, and, and Chelsea were definitely part of um, you know, adding to this culture of uh, you know fetishizing this size side of the game and marketing themselves, as have all the top clubs in the Premier mm. League, but in different ways and to different extents. But I think there has to be a fundamental look at the structure. And the movement of money within football and who's moving that money where. And at that point, you come to the, the conclusion that if you change the way that players were transferred, so you weren't just looking to produce one big sale every couple of years and you weren't, um, teams weren't looking to make that one big sale to make a huge asset for their side, then you change the focus of sides. And it's only once you fundamentally look at why these teams are doing this and not just say, and by the way, you know, if an oligarch changes, uh, owns your side, you're probably fucked anyway. <laughs> yeah. or, or an American business, when, right? You know, similar, anyway, similar situation. Is, these are, you, know, if you, you know, I mean, it's not like people haven't warned about this. Mm. It's just that those people were put down because it was like, oh, shut up, the party's going on. Yeah, but guys, if we keep, if we keep drinking, we're going to be sick in the end. Shut up, David. I Khan. think that that's, that's what makes uh, Manchester City interesting, though. As Dave mentions, they have made those long-term strides, building that huge academy in Manchester they've made strides for the future not just for now and they're way ahead of Manchester United way ahead of Chelsea now in terms of the long term future that's probably a, a big they, part of why Guardiola went ahead of Manchester United I mean that's the problem I, we're not, don't I don't think we're right. seeing the fruits of that academy yet but the, the infrastructure and the amount of money they've pumped into it I think mm. we will, we will yeah, start but, to see results Adam you're falling down the same mistaken uh, assumptions that we made a few years ago when money first came in. You're thinking that because they've invested money, therefore the product comes. Mm. And that's that's there's a fundamental flaw there because we're only evaluating the bubble of money. And a few years ago, we did the same and said, it's good for the league, it's good for Chelsea. No, but how it's well different in terms of do? what they're investing how well that the, money how, in. How much youth is coming through? Mm, you know, we said exactly the same with Chelsea just a few years ago. It's no, got Chelsea to Chelsea has not of, made anywhere near the scale of investment Manchester Yeah, City, that, I think that's a big thing. But, the point, really gone in. but the point would be, Adam, it was lauded a few years ago when they did make that investment mm. and it's and you don't know until after essentially yeah exactly so but that's what i'm saying that's what dave said it was always but, said but it'll be years time, before you see the fruits of those well, they're uh, saying those six, i mean you've got a nasho coming through you've got other you know they started those guys in the fa cup against chelsea that's the thing but you look at manchester united look at chelsea they, they haven't made any anywhere near that sort of investment or even made the right steps towards it. But, but Manchester United, United but, and Chelsea are going to be playing cash-up now for years. Well, no, if you want to write that narrative, then that's fine. But oh, don't tell me that there's not United <laughs> out on the pitch. Don't tell me that yeah, there's... Yeah, but United, United, so United, I think they, between October and January this season, they lost like 13 games in the under-18s league. That, and I, quite and frankly... And I isn't understand. the right way to go. I think your wider point is right that overall we probably will see City thrive within this structure. What I'm saying is there will be changes in the next few years and there will be uh, the, the sweeping statements that we're making about Manchester United now or making about Chelsea now because we're comparing them to a multi-billion dollar entity 
who's come in and done things, what most people are saying is the right way. Uh, we were saying similar things about, I've said similar things of other structures. And all I'm saying is let's be critical of Man City as much as we are of Chelsea. And let's not assume that because they're investing money, therefore they win. I'm not sure I agree because we saw... Uh, I think they're seen... doing it a different way, right? They're, doing, they're, they're using the money in a different way and they have done. They've, pro they've proved that with the multiplex, with the scouts, with the full-time coaches, with the ana analytics department, with their Twitter account, how they've grown that before any other club sort of dived into that you market. Just can't, were... You just cannot put Twitter and scouting in the same box. No, but what, what that means is, before we jump in there and, and jump on the point, is that it means that they're a forward-thinking club. Manchester United were one of the last clubs to get Twitter. That's quite slow. That seems like there's players at the top. That players, sorry, there's not. There's people at the top that aren't thinking properly. They're not thinking how to. How do we? How do we make this a, a digital organisation? How do we turn YouTube? How do we sort out Twitter? Which is a big thing in terms of you know marketing and that type of thing. It feels like there's the big wigs aren't going the right way. But in, if it, at Manchester United and at Manchester City, Man, uh, sorry, not City, Chelsea, Chelsea, it feels that like the youth doesn't have a link to the first team, big issue, Manchester United has a, a loads of issues, but it feels like City is just going the right way. They've got the, mm. the, they've got people in the director of football that was at Barca, the uh, you know head of what, head of a recruitment at Barcelona, they're trying to play this style of football that was implemented at Barca, they're implementing the same thing in terms of coaching, play the ball, we want ball players, that's what we want to you know pass and move, that type of thing, that's what they're developing there. Mm. It feels like, like that seems to be the way that European football is going. Players need to be technically very, very good at the top level. And that's where Man City are going. They're creating that player. Whereas I don't feel like the rest of, you know, like Chelsea, Manchester United, haven't taken that step yet yeah, to see, go the see, right way. You see reports about the Glazers trying to make cuts uh, around the club. And you see the fact that United are not building stadiums for the youth teams. All this sort of stuff, which is in complete contrast to Manchester City. You've pumped, you know, millions upon millions into it. I think, I think personally, we will, we will see these teams playing catch-up. And I think, you know, Dave's talking there about how Chelsea need a season in the wilderness. I think maybe even more, the same for Manchester United, where they need to step back and think long-term, how are we going to compete with Manchester City and the other elite clubs in Europe long-term, as they opposed to let's pump all the money into our first-team squad. They, they say the one thing that a fish knows nothing about is water. Let's just say the Premier League is a very deep sea right now. And <laughs> we are well within that sea. And if we just continue to compare those clubs just to Man City and look at the structure and say, mm. right, they're the model, let's compare. They're the model, let's compare. Then I think we're going down the wrong route. I just think we're, we're looking at no diversity. We're looking but you, at you've got to have your own ideas. Outside the box. I'm not saying they should copy that model, but I'm just saying the difference is stark. The difference is clear. They, yeah, they don't have an identity of their own model. They don't have a, uh, you know, a, a vision of where they're going to go in 10 years. I think that's the biggest thing, is that Man City have that in stone. And maybe, maybe we are alluding to the point, we are comparing things that we shouldn't be comparing, but it is about vision. And I think Man City currently have the best vision of the Premier League club. Two catch Barcelona, You could also say, Dave, that in the time when Manchester United are a rudderless ship, making cutbacks on some of their academy maybe it looks like a clever thing because you can invest money but you know in the long term you're not going to use them fair enough. So if they get a manager in who gives them a rudder, say they get a Mourinho in, say they get someone who gives them a long-term goal, then maybe they will invest some money. But I wouldn't make, but, very face, I wouldn't make face evaluations of huge corporations, which are, by the way, very slow-moving, and I agree. You know, if you get Twitter late or whatever, that's one thing. But it definitely does not represent how fast-moving an academy But it, it does. It does, because you didn't have a manager, you didn't have a director of the academy for 10 months, you, and then you install Nicky Bott, who, quite frankly, his youth team was atrocious. 
Like that's backward thinking. That's not thinking forward. You know, you would have gone in Manchester United, the draw that they have, the money that they could have pumped in, go and fucking just take Southampton's <laughs> model, take their model, Ooh, grab the, the guy that's in charge, get Des Reed, pull him over to Old Trafford and say, look, lad, you're, you're working it. You know, if they're going to play this capitalist model where they are going in and they're buying Angel Di Maria, they're buying Falcao, why are they not messing about with coaches and doing the same thing there? It's crazy. Why have they what? got part-time coaches? Dave. Mental. Absolutely ludicrous. Dave, what about PSG? Another team who arguably don't have a long-term plan, but short-term is looking very good for them. I mean, for you, do they look like potential winners of this competition? Um, I think they're going to get caught out on the transition against better teams. I feel that in deeper midfield, they got caught out a few times. I mentioned before, Pedro caught them out. Fabregas caught them out. You know, defensive midfield where you nick the ball there, you're up against the back floor, you, teams will kill them. Ronaldo would have killed them in that situation. You know, Lucas Vasquez, who was brilliant last night, would have, would have killed them in that situation. Neymar, Messi, Suarez would kill him. Uh, you know, Robin... Lewandowski, uh, Thomas Muller would have killed them. I feel that they're still not quite there in terms of their structure. You mm. know, I love Blaise Tweedy. I think Di Maria was brilliant tonight. Ibrahimovic is a fantastic player, but I just don't think they've got that next step to be at that top level. And they're not ruthless, ruthless enough, I don't feel. There was um, quite a lot of fuss made on Twitter, Lawrence, at halftime. Uh, Hazard swapping shirts for Angel Di Maria. A lot of yeah. people saying he could have waited until the summer to get on his PSG shirt. A lot of Chelsea fans uh, getting a bit irate about that one. Yeah, just that's what we should at half time. And if you're going to do it, yeah, why? do it in the changing rooms. Do it out of the public eye if you're going to do it. Um, I mean, at the same at the same time, uh, the, well, I guess the, the point should be made that maybe Azard's making a point himself. Ooh, Ooh. Oh, let's get that on the rumorator. Another, uh, I saw another interesting point raised tonight, Dave. Um, this one was by Miguel Delaney, the, the journalist. Um, he was suggesting that maybe there should be a change to the away goals rule. He was essentially saying that the Zlatan's goal completely killed the game prematurely tonight and believes that the away goals rule is such a huge advantage for the away team in that second leg. Maybe it should be tweaked slightly. I mean, what do you make of that? No, I think oh, I like the rule. I think it's good. I think, <laughs> That's you've fine, got to, I think that with if you win the group, you get an advantage and then the latter stages, it's potluck. But you, need, you know, you play 90 minutes away, you play 90 minutes at home. You know that an away goal... If you score more away goals than the opponent, you win the game because you're scoring away from home. Mm. It's, you know it's difficult to do that, right? You, know, you that... go into these huge. I think it's. I think it's fine. I, I like it. I think it's perfect at the moment. I feel like if it's like the Super League, let's just leave it. Let's leave the Champions do League. Do you feel be. that maybe that first leg though is always by its very nature very cagey, uh, very but, tight, which which is at a disadvantage to the the team who are away first. Whereas that second leg tends to be more open. There tends to be those chances that are there to be taken. I think. I think it's how you set your team up, right? You know, Manchester United, when they went on a great run in Europe, they'd be so boring away from home, they'd either win 1-0 or they'd draw 0-0. And that's what they did. And then they went back to Old Trafford and they beat teams. And that was it. You beat teams, that, you know, you don't lose away, you win at home. Simple mm. as that. And it's, I think it's how managers sort of, um, you know, do come at the game, say, they, you know, they want to sit back here, they want to counter-attack here, then they want to, at home, they want to absolutely batter teams. And I feel that you've just got to take the initiative at home. In the Champions League, when you're playing at home, you have to dominate. And I feel that some clubs can't dominate. You know, for example, Leicester City in the knockout stages of the Champions League, if they didn't nick a goal early through a set piece or through a counter-attack, would struggle um, in the second leg. Obviously, you know, being in the other situation where they're at home and the opposition can score away goals. I just think it's the nature of football. Everyone knows the rules. As a manager, you've got to assess how to how to you know be the best in that situation. Quite frankly, what do you reckon, Norris? Because of course, these rules were first introduced to sort of balance out the negative impact of, of any travel difficulties, which has sort of been negated now somewhat. 
Uh, we also had Sid Lowe weighing in and saying, you know, the, the second leg is at home, yes, which is an advantage, but the, the, that team's power is to change one of the, the key variables in the game. Are they negated? I mean, they're negated, I guess, if you're one of the top Well, sides. lessened, lessened. Maybe. I mean, they're lessened, sure, but they're also, um, they're lessened only really if you're a top side. Like, and I guess it's also the point we've made that tonight it's London versus Paris. It's like an hour on the train. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not, um, you know, it's not, it's not a very long way. So yeah, are we going to say that teams within an hour's drive of each other don't get uh, the weight goals rule or that's what I mean do you think the rule in and of itself is a little bit overpowered almost or do you think it adds that excitement to these sort of these occasions well I mean it forces teams to look at playing a certain way and it forces them to like Dave say look at their armoury but that is maybe taking away from the diversity or intelligence that some managers want to play with um, and maybe some managers will be very attacking early on because it's like, well, you know, if we are very attacking early on and we score, then the game's out of their reach, and then we can just sit back. So it's maybe mm. what we market as finding, uh, as, as, as thinking of as entertaining. And the Champions League, you know, I guess people can sell goal, you know, you can sell those clips and those sorts of things. But I just wonder if, uh, if we go down the route of looking in more detail at football and how it can be played tactically, whether we would... Uh, favor the away goals rule or not or whether we look change it to more goals or less goals or half a whatever advantage it gives you because there has to be something there because you know the 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 way the the way around you play your legs has to be a certain way so uh, however there's a very interesting podcast on espn uh, uh, recently about basketball and how it's evolved and how they actually banned in college basketball the slam dunk now it's a very different reason for which they slammed they did that because it, basically they did it uh, because what most people perceive as a racist reason because black guys in uh, the dunk and other, and other guys couldn't and that was uh, perceived as an unfair advantage. Uh, what what I mean by that is it's only really backwards that you can draw those dots and sort of go well that was a poor that was a bad idea this was a bad idea this was a bad idea but in some ways you have to find a way of testing those things and i think maybe it's worth uefa and i'm not saying they're not because they probably are behind closed doors but looking at the structure of the competition because at the moment it's very much in question i think a lot of those things will be under the microscope how can they update it how can they make it more um not just more entertaining but also more informative um, elsewhere tonight, of course, we had Benfica going to away goals as Zenit Dave cruising through to the next round. Now, a lot of supporters of certain teams might see that uh, getting Benfica in the last eight as favourable. What, what do you make of this Benfica team? Do you think there'll be a threat in the, in the next round? I think they are a threat. You know, Nicholas Gaetan again today was was sensational. Scored a goal, got an assist. Was really key in the you know creating lots of chances in the game. Uh, Renato Sanchez is very good, and then Jonas. You know, look at him. He scored. I think he scored 26 goals in um, the Portuguese league. Only puts him behind Ronaldo, I think, by two points in terms of winning the European Golden Boot. So he's a massive threat. You've got Machoglu, who for some reason has found his goal-scoring boots again at Benfica. So I feel there'll be a, a bit of an unknown quantity. People will go to Benfica. Oh, yeah, Benfica's going to be easy. But they play quite a, you know, a, a very defensive... They're not defensive style, but they're quite compact. They're quite similar to Leicester City in a way, how they've been playing in the Champions League. Obviously, they do boss teams in the Portuguese League, but I, I quite like them, in a way, how they set up. I like them a little bit more than I like PSG, in a way. I feel PSG are a little bit wow. disjoint at the moment, and I quite like how Benfica are, are together, two banks of four, um, attacking midfielder slash second striker that works very hard in Jonas, and then Mitroglou up front, and then 
Pizzi on one side, Gatan, and then midfield of Renato Sanchez and Samaris, who's a very good ball player. I think this team's going to be a little bit under under the radar away. And when Luis Al comes back from injury, the big Brazilian centre half, I feel that they could, you know, they could trouble some teams. Similar with Wolfsburg, another quantity that won you know, one nil last night. Andre Schill's in banging form. Julian Draxler seems like he's got a very good relationship with Andre Schill. You know, Andre Schill likes to run in behind. Draxler's a good dribble of the ball, likes to play. Those three balls. It seems like it's coming together for those two teams, and people are going to be drawn. Oh, yeah, we've got the the easy draw, and then they're going to be they're going to find out that this they're they're a decent side. Um, we also had uh, Real Madrid ease past Roma uh, last night, winning four 0 on aggregate lines. Things aren't going well, so well for them in the league at the moment, but they're looking good in this competition. Yeah, uh, I mean, maybe you could say that's partly the away goals rule uh, coming into action there. Um, Anyways. Yeah. Um, Rose football. It was lovely. I mean, you know, Ronaldo's goal record is fantastic. There was talk about Ronaldo being booed. Um, mm, why was that? Uh, because Real Madrid fans maybe don't know how good they've got it. Because of his um, comments a few weeks ago that were sort of... Uh, yeah, that too. Like, I mean, that's the problem, is it's such a politicised club. Don't, to some extent, you kind of want to get over that, but I know it plays into the player's mentality on the pitch. Um, it, it looks like Ronaldo might even stay now, which is probably the more exciting mm. side of it, um, because of the noises Zidane has been making. Um, but Which begs the question, who's moving out and who's coming in? And are they moving forward? And if they are moving forward, which direction? What's their velocity? <laughs> uh, Wolfsburg as well, Dave. Uh, another team into the last eight, uh, winning 1-0, uh, equaling 4-2 on aggregate. There was no, no comeback to be had there for Ghent. Yeah, it's a bit upsetting because Ghent was the, you know, the, the brilliant story, close to bankruptcy again. How many teams do we talk about that have been close to bankruptcy? There's a lot of poorly run teams out there, but you know, they obviously play quite a nice style of football. They've done very well in Belgium. But no, Wolfsburg, like I mentioned before, are a very good side. I said... You know, weeks back when United got knocked out of the group stages, that they they were a very good side. I think uh, Dieter Hacking is a is a good, you know, very very good manager. Of what he does, he can play a number of different styles. And they're, again, they're going to be a very difficult component to come up against. You know, got a very good two centre halves, got good fullbacks, got hardworking wingers, got a man in Julian Draxler that's you know can unlock any defence. And Max Kruiser up front is very good. And Bastos is going to be coming back from injury, so they're going to have a lot of variation in their front, their forward line. So again, they're going to be an unknown quantity. I'd, you know, in terms of you know betting on people in the Champions League to go quite far, you know, you look at Benfica, you look at Wolfsburg, you're going to get some quite good odds on there. Anyone out there that does like a flutter, um, it's just one of those things where I feel that they're going to be very undervalued and under. Teams are going to go there thinking we've done it, and then they'll realise Wolfsburg are really good on the break. They have very decent, you know, defensively the structure's really good. So it's going to be interesting. The next round's going to be fascinating. The quarterfinals are going to be brilliant. How many teams are actually going to go there and think we've done it? You know, I think maybe from the outside that's the perception, but I'd imagine you get a good briefing of what Wolfsburg are going to try and do pre-match, right? Yeah, but you'd see someone like Real Madrid go to Wolfsburg. Real Madrid were again were quite disjoint in the defence. Casemiro came in was very good. Vasquez when he came on, Real Madrid looked a lot more solid. But before that, they had Bale, Ronaldo, uh, James Rodriguez, and they just weren't tracking back. And a team like Wolfsburg will kill you. It absolutely destroy you. If you, um, you know, you look at what Marcelo's positioning. Stephen Manaman was having a field day. He was hammering him on the uh, the commentary. Just where's Marcelo? What's he doing? There were so many times where uh, I think the whoever was playing wide right for um, the opposition was just free, standing behind Marcelo. At one point, the the right back and the right midfielder were, uh, you know, ahead of Marcelo. Marcelo was still tracking back. So that's a massive weakness there. And you know, you, you think of. Who they could play there, you know, whether it's Verana or Caligari. 
um, there's a player there that can hit you on the break. We've seen Caligari play very, very well against Bayern Munich or Borussia Dortmund in the last year or so. That's very sure. good at containing and then breaking. And I think that's what Real Madrid are going to get stung. I'd, I really want to see Real Madrid versus one of those teams, whether it is Benfica or uh, Wolfsburg, because I feel that they will be, they'll be one of the teams that will be, oh, we're better than these guys. We'll turn these lads over. Similar to PSG, potentially. They might have the same sort of attitude. We'll beat, we'll go out and we'll beat these like we do at the French League and then bang. Mm. Nicholas Gaitan, 30-yard <laughs> screamer, top corner. We're in the final, lads. No, so we've got PSG, Benfica, Real Madrid and Wolfsburg through to the last eight. We'll have to see who joins them next week. We'll be uh, doing all the post-match reaction then. For now, though, the other big news today, Lawrence, was, of course, ticket prices. The Premier League Great. announced... Turns out, from- Adam, 30 is plenty. 30, yeah. It doesn't quite have the same ring to it. <laughs> but uh, the Premier League have capped away fan tickets from next season at £30. The club's unanimously approved the new limit for visiting supporters. The Premier League saying away fans are essential for match atmosphere. Yeah. It's something to be celebrated, isn't it? It's not quite 20s plenty, as you say, which is the the, the campaign by the, the Football Supports Federation. Yeah. Um, a very admirable campaign. It hasn't quite got there yet, but it's, it's a fantastic first step, and maybe there's there's more to come, hopefully. Yeah, well, I mean, it would be a better first step if it was 20, wouldn't it? Of course. Uh, but it's a massive victory for fans, is what we're being told. By uh, it, 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 fucking it, fan it, channel it, out think, there. Know, <laughs> but surely it's churlish to say it's not a victory. To say that the action meant nothing and this 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 is nothing because it's not quite twenties plenty. It is a big change and it is something to be celebrated. It is a big change and it is something to be celebrated. But let's not celebrate it as a victory. Mm. Let's. I mean, again, I'm saying let's look at the system and say if you need fan groups and those fan groups are so disenfranchised by their clubs that we look at this as a victory over the man, then. We have bigger problems than 20s plenty. But you do not have a fundamentally good uh, discourse between your fan groups and your actual club. Hmm. And that's a problem in Britain because they have one of the biggest pots of money they've ever had, if not the biggest pot of money that the Premier League has ever had. So why is that not supplementing other things? I think that's a good point. I think... um... Of course, I think more could be done. And I think, uh, what's the famous uh, Chris Rock sketch? You know, people uh, want to be congratulated for things they're supposed to be right, doing. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the, the Premier League is sort of like, yeah, we let our fans in the ground. You're like, you're yes. supposed to. And I think, of course, there should be the scope for the clubs to go even further. And I think, you know, maybe uh, the tickets for home fans are next. But I still think we have to acknowledge that this change was made not just because the huge TV deal is coming in, but I think support of action, support of voices through these groups did have or did make an important contribution to this change. And therefore we should say, I think it's important to say this isn't the, the, the we haven't won the war, but you know, it's a, it's a small victory in what is hopefully an ongoing campaign. And yes, there should be more, more initiatives and more, more things to make the game more about the fans brought forward. Yeah, whether that's going to happen is... Um... But it's a step in the right direction, right? I think we can agree on that. Yes, although very often you find that, as we're finding with a number of big governments and uh, big corporations, they will make small, but not... Um, they'll call them compromises or whatever. Mm. They'll make small steps, but in the long term, they they, it's more of a compromise of the relationship than it is of the actual... Um, the actual goal 
So, I, you know, I'm still skeptical of it, to be honest. It's, I'm, although it's I'm a cynical, it's a cynical view of it, but I think we can, I think you've I mean, got I'm reason not, to be cynical. I'm not cynical of the, of the fan bodies. That's absolutely fine. No, I, no, I think no. I mean, the gesture itself by the clubs. Um, yeah. But we also had Arsenal was sort of saying, you know, they're going to provide a further this kind of 4%, uh, four pounds, I should say, for travelling fans. So the, the, the lowest priced tickets, the maximum would be 26 pounds for, for travelling fans. We've had Tottenham announcing a freeze on the, on the cost of season tickets as well. So they're, 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 they're small victories, Dave. But as I said, it, it's, a, it's an important first step potentially. Yeah, I think it's the it's a small victory in, in a big war again. Like Lawrence mentioned, thirty quid is still absolutely crazy considering how much money they get from the TV deal. Again, the football should be a lot cheaper than it is. You look at you know seasons ticket for Bayern Munich less than two hundred quid. It's crazy. It's crazy what I our country's see. doing to football fans. The mental. interesting thing, the interesting quote I saw was that Manchester United um, estimated it will save their fans a total of around eight hundred thousand pounds a year uh, on away tickets, and I thought, so that's how much it's almost costing. Manchester United to bring in this initiative, which to them is nothing. Absolutely pocket change, right? Exactly. Yeah. So although <laughs> I think although as I say it's important to celebrate the victory, as Lawrence and yourself may be pointing out, we have to recognise that it's not the grandest gesture these clubs could have made and there's still work to be done. Yeah. But then one minute we can't sort of say, you know, how well are you running our finances and the next minute say Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You know, uh, what, you know, what are you doing? Why aren't you giving us more? Uh, so I, I guess it's about balance, it's about perspective. And I think the biggest problem is that actually as a fan base, we're not particularly well informed about these things because I don't think people want the fan base to be particularly well informed about them. Because I imagine the more that you know about your big corporation of a club, the less you're going to like them. We need to keep all the information to ourselves. Elsewhere, guys, I was expecting to talk tonight about how Steve McLaren had been sacked and he has do been. a little post-mortem. He's still there. Yeah. Um, but the Guardian reports that Newcastle are quietly confident about bringing Rafael Benitez in on an initial 10-game contract to replace McLaren, who looks like he could be gone by the end of the week. We're not quite sure. It's sort of a limbo situation. But either way, Lawrence, help me out here because I'm confused. Mm -hmm. Rafael Benitez has just been sacked by a club with an owner who's very difficult to work with, a club (laughs) where he thought he could go in and change things from the inside. It didn't quite work out. Why is he looking at a club with somewhat broadly similar issues? I don't know if he is. I mean, uh, it might be Rory Smith tonight. You forgive me, I don't remember his um, 
the paper times, right now the from the Times um, uh, who said Rafa Benitez sat at home tonight and watched the Chelsea game. He's not yet, sorry, he's not been offered the Chelsea, mm. uh, the Newcastle job yet. Yet. It's it, it, the fact it's in The Guardian makes me think that there's some uh, legitimacy mm. to it. The Guardian does <laughs> reprint a lot of other things for clickbait, bear in mind. <laughs> yeah, of course, as do, uh, as do most newspapers. But uh, Dave, even if Benitez does take this role, even you know, as, as unattractive, unattractive as I make it sound, you think he's a good fit for this club going by the fact that there is 10 games left, the fact that it's a pretty dire situation there at the bottom of the table? It'll be interesting to see. I think that there's reports that he wants to get rid of Carr. He's the um, director of football that's bringing in the players at the moment, which could be quite good because Newcastle have made some pretty smelly transfers of, of late. But Benito, we all know Benitez. He's a very, very good manager. You know, Lawrence will, could talk yes. for years about Rafa Benitez. He's a good manager. We forget about that. He's better. He, you know, he's a, he's a excellent manager for a club like Newcastle. You know, he, he's up there, top four manager, you'd say. You know, a top four club manager. So if, if Newcastle can get Rafa Benitez, they give him a bit of money. They let him, uh, you know, let him control things, let him run the training, let him be, you know, let him be completely in charge, like let him spend money in a way, let him spend money and buy players. You know, Mitrovic under Benitez could be very good. You know, there's attacker midfielders there like Wijnaldum that could be very, very good under Benitez. Yeah, I mean, that that is part of it, is whether the players train well under him because Benitez, I mean, Cissé was a decent striker for Liverpool, but Benitez didn't like him because he did too much stuff that Benitez didn't want him to do. Um You'd say maybe Benitez is a bit of an authoritarian, uh, mm, not, an author- not not a sort of authoritarian that maybe a, a you know like a Nigel Pearson is or um, you know Sam Allardyce or someone like that. But he's definitely someone who brings structure, and you'd argue that at the moment Newcastle lacks structure. Um, not only that, but you know he, he kept Chelsea up when he came. Uh, <laughs> in the end of that so Massively. he has he has previous Dave. I think I think the big thing with with Newcastle especially is that how how advanced their fullbacks get and how there's a lack of somebody covering their position. It's crazy, but Benitez wouldn't have any of that. It'd be two banks of four, one attacking midfielder and a striker, and it'd be perfect. For Newcastle. Know, Dave, he does he does he does like a good. I mean, essentially, he's a four three three manager. He likes uh, attacking fullbacks in the right way. You know, he, he likes Steve Finnan. He liked um, but, but he liked the idea. Is, they'll always be covered. They'll be covered for Steve, right? You know, if Steve goes on, someone's going to drop back. You know, Mascherano, Chubby Mascherano. The Guardian report, yeah. Lawrence. The Guardian report says that uh, Newcastle are unwilling to sack McLaren until they're confident of announcing uh, a replacement. So they're hoping to get Benitez in, but we're in this sort of weird limbo situation at the moment where no one's willing to commit. Um, either way, I wonder what it's like. I wonder what it's like to be Steve McLaren right now. Like, what? Oh, what's going through Steve's head? Pretty you know? awkward. <laughs> Pretty awkward. He's probably thinking about how was it, four or five <laughs> years ago brother? he was uh, winning the title in uh, in uh, the Netherlands. He's probably thinking about that. Happier times, Steve. Um, <laughs> better time. I think that's more of an insight into the mind of Adam Bobby. Jesus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, finally, before we get onto the talking point where uh, Nina Kowser joins us to preview Manchester United Liverpool, we should talk briefly about Spurs Dortmund or Dortmund Spurs. I should say, which is uh, kicking off at the West Fallon Stadium tomorrow night. Uh, It's going to be very interesting to see how Pochettino sets up his team, isn't it, Dave? I mean, it's a big test for him. Dortmund are undefeated in 19 home games this season. And in those 19 games, they've scored 61 goals. So it's going to be interesting to see these these big Bundesliga scorers come up against what is the the best defence in the Premier League. 
Well, they've got the German Gary goals on the side and the Bemiang, so it's going to be dangerous <laughs> for Spurs. Difficult to deal with a Gary. You know, how do you contain him? He's got a lot of pace. He likes to run in behind, which is going to be difficult if Spurs push up. There's going to be a lot of space for a Bemiang to run into with Mick Tyrion as well, showed against Bayern Munich. You know, give him the right opportunity. He can pick a good pass, but he is very inconsistent, Mick Tyrion. Again, he probably will perform poorly against Spurs because that's the type of guy he is. He's good one week, rubbish the other week. But when he's good, he's very, very good. Similar with Marco Royce. If you get a good Marco Royce, Spurs are done for. Mm. But it's going to be interesting to see whether they go for a back four back, uh, or a back five. You know, whether um, Sven Bender plays a centre-back or defensive midfield, whether Kagawa's back. Uh, Grunduan, obviously, been his agent, potentially, his engineer, and moved to Manchester City. <laughs> You know, he's his last year there. He's want to go out on top. It's going to be a brilliant, brilliant, you know, mm. clash of two teams that press very well, which could make it a very poor game. But, you know, a number of games that I've watched this season where two teams press, like Leverkusen Dortmund or Man United versus Tottenham at the start of the season, where both teams pressed. The game came really disjointed and got a bit boring because nobody got hold of the game. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope one team takes control. One team sits on the break, and it's you know, a nice encounter of of soccer, shall we say? It's uh, interesting with Spurs. <laughs> Deli Ali suspended. Eric Dyer and Danny Rose apparently being rested, so it's going to be interesting to see who sort of takes that defensive role in midfield, whether Pushina puts in Mason or, or even Bentaleb maybe gives him a chance. I think, you know, we're talking about the away goals rule there. It's all going to be about Spurs trying to maybe get that away goal. I feel like Dortmund are going to win this one, but if we do get that away goal, I think, you know, we, we can go quietly confident into that second leg. Um, we... Adam being a Dortmund fan, of course. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> of course, the other big game tomorrow night is Manchester United v Liverpool. Joining us yeah. is Nina Kauser from the Anfield Index to preview Ooh. the game, which Jürgen Klopp is calling the mother of all games. So for this week's Talking Point, we are joined by Nina Kauser, host of the Nina Kauser Show on the Anfield Index. Nina, thank you very much for joining us. No, thank you guys for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on and look forward to talking all things Liverpool. Excellent. We'll, we'll probably get into a little bit about the Anfield Index and the work you do with them a little later on. But for now, let's talk about tomorrow night's big game. Manchester United v Liverpool, of course. First time the two teams have met in European competition. Coming off the back of those two great wins against City and Palace, Nina, are you feeling confident going into this one? I am, and I think it's more the occasion, uh, you know, like, like you've just alluded to there, you know, this is the biggest fixture. It's Manchester United versus Liverpool under the lights. It's never happened before. Uh, personally, I didn't want United, uh, but Klopp obviously did. Obviously, he felt like there was some unfinished business. If you go back to the game at Anfield in the league, I thought Liverpool was certainly the better team, the more dominant team. But what we lacked was... Um, a through and through striker and we look really blunt up top and we we really failed to test David Gea despite him being an absolute world-class goalkeeper we mm. really failed to test him and it was pretty much smash and grab at the last minute by you know that <laughs> other scouser you know from the blue side and it, you know it was it was quite um it was quite a hard take for Liverpool fans, so um, I think that's why Klopp wants it and also I, I can't quite deal with the fact that you know, um, Louis van Gaal has, you know, four out of four wins against Liverpool. That needs to be put right. So come on, Klopp, let's do this. <laughs> that needs to be changed. Um, so, so as I mentioned, coming off those two uh, wins against City and, and Palace in the league, I think it's three consecutive wins in the league. Mm. What sort of change recently with Liverpool then? Because they've been struggling for consistency all season. Yeah. And all of a sudden they've managed yeah. to put a little bit of a run together in the league at least. 
Yeah, you're quite spot on. Uh, you know, one of my main concerns with Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool side has been uh, the inconsistency. You know, we can beat like a Manchester City at the Etihad and then lose to, say, a Crystal Palace or a Newcastle or a West Ham. And it's just, you know, just really un- the unpredictability of this Liverpool team. Very much a Jacqueline Hyde sort of side. And I think I think what's really helped is, um, this is going to sound really strange, but obviously beating Aston Villa 6-0, I'm, I'm not even going to count that as anything. They are truly a dreadful side. As great as we were, they were absolutely shocking. They didn't even turn up. It was like a preseason game. But I think the Capital uh, One Cup loss sort of really helped us, believe it or not, because Klopp came out with this really inspirational speech saying we're going to come back fighting. And the, one, the few things that he's really alluded to is we play better when we play angry football. And if you go back to the league game against uh, Man City, on the back of that defeat in the Capital One Cup, we played some tenacious, ferocious football and that was absolutely phenomenal to watch. And then, however, if you go to the Palace game over the weekend, we weren't great. We were actually quite um, disappointing to watch. I didn't enjoy the watch. Uh, we, we were 10 men down, a goal down. James Milner, the most experienced player, does uh, the most stupidest thing you could possibly imagine. You think, it's, it's another one of them we're going to lose and then Firmino had other ideas. And then Christian Benteke, so, you know, scores a cool, calm penalty. So <laughs> I just think momentum's very much with us. And I think that's what it is. I think they're playing for the manager. Mm. Um, how do you sort of want to see Klopp set up his side going into this game? I mean, you talk about Firmino being on form there. It looks like Daniel Sturridge could start, which is obviously a boost. Yeah, I think it was essential that he's rested players like Coutinho and Daniel Sturridge. Obviously, he's got his eye on the Europa because I do think that is our gateway to the Champions League should we win it by some miracle. But I, the one thing I will say, this stat will really impress you, especially Dave, you know, being a squawker <laughs> boy and all that. Every time Lucas Leva plays, we lose. So he doesn't play Lucas Leva. Let's, <laughs> let's just feel that right not play that is absolutely essential I think uh, one of the problems that Manchester United have certainly been having is midfield and maybe what I might do is possibly try playing a diamond I might play an Emre Jan in the deepest so he kind of protects the back four play Emre Jan deepest Henderson and I'd play Coutinho on each side Firmino on the tip and I would go with Origi and Sturridge up front because I think two strikers and keeping the United back four occupied could really be handier. Then obviously you've got Moreno and Klein to provide the width. And I think that could really work. And I think Coutinho, you know, sort of not playing so advanced, slightly deeper, would suit him right down to a tee because the season where we almost won the league, and I say almost because we never win the league, (laughs) you know, he he was so effective in like the eight roles. So I'd say just push him further back and let him be a monster there. That's how I would set up. What about uh, Manchester United, Dave? They've got a few players potentially coming back from injury. How do you want to see Louis van Gaal set out his stall? Well, I think if, they, if Liverpool did go with the diamond, it would cause United a lot of problems. We've seen recently that if you press United, you sort of kill their build-up out the back and it completely kills them as a side, you know, to bring the rest of the players into play. It's very slow and labourous. So if Liverpool couldn't sort of press from the front against this United back four, I, I'd be worried as a United fan seeing two strikers up against our two centre-halves. We've seen Daley Blind over the last few games has been a bit... Uh, his form's been poor. He, he's not been dominating the ball as much as he has done, you know, against uh, Watford. He 
recorded a 68% pass accuracy, which is absolutely awful for a player of Daley Blind's quality. So I'd be afraid there. I'd like to see United set up with a, you know, the 4-1-4-1 system that they played against Arsenal. I'd like to see Morgan Schneidel in man-marking Firmino because he's the real danger man for me at the moment in this Liverpool side. Scored seven mm. goals and registered four assists in 2016 in the Premier League, more than any other Premier League player. So it's one of those players that you've got to get a shackle on or he's going to run riot in this United team. I'd like to see Herrera matter in midfield again, but they need to be up for it. We've seen that against Arsenal, they were up for it. Ander Herrera, what a performance, you know, putting in like nine tackles. Uh, but you compare that to his performance against Michelin, where he put in two tackles. So it's one of those things where Herrera needs to be focused. And hopefully he will be in this game. We've seen it, you know, the game against Liverpool a few seasons ago, Ander Herrera was key to sort of beating Liverpool at um, Anfield. So he's got to be up for it. But then the front three, you've got to have pace in there, you know, Martial, um, Rashford, Lingard, Memphis, whichever he goes. I think Memphis Depay is going to be an absolute massive player again. We've seen his form slightly tick on, slightly. He's been, been at United now six months, you know, seven months now. So he's starting to get the United way. He started to, you know, develop himself, playing this more competitive football, working on his game. You know, an interview that we, um, I was lucky enough to go with Under Armour, who talked about how the Premier League fullbacks were a lot quicker than the ones he was playing in, in uh, Holland. So he could, you know, he used to be able to just burst past these players, but now he's got to think a little bit smarter. And he's starting to become that player against Michelin, who was brilliant. And hopefully he can continue that form in Europe, you know, top scorer for United in Europe this season. Yeah. So hopefully he can, he can take that form and sort of deal with Nathaniel Klein, who's had a... He's been good and he's been bad for Liverpool so far. So hopefully, you know, Memphis can string him up like he strung up the Mitchell and right, uh, right, left backs. No, right back, sorry, and you know, totally destroy him. What? How big a game is this for Manchester United and Leuven Howard though? Because I think Nina mentioned it there about how this is potentially Liverpool's only route to Champions League qualification next season. It's the same story for Manchester United, isn't it? I'd completely agree with you. It's the same story for Manchester United. That's why this game's even bigger. You know, two massive rivals. Two, it's the biggest, two of the biggest clubs in, in English football coming together. And, and it's not like, for anything, it's not like a Capital One Cup clash. It's the Europa League for a Champions League clash. Champions League sort of spot, which is absolutely massive. For Lou Van Gaal, for me, I, I want to see him moved on at the end of the season. I feel that he's had enough time, enough money, and he's just not, you know, he's not sort of bringing his philosophy, so-called, through at the club. It's outdated, his... Uh, you know, his injury record's atrocious. He needs to work on that. Similarly to Jürgen Klopp, Jürgen Klopp should probably look at the end of, end of the season and maybe refresh his, his fitness ideas because Lou Van Aal is just completely outdated in that. But I do feel if, you know, if Lou Van Aal does lose this game, could it be the chop for Lou Van Aal? Probably. You know, what else have United got to keep the manager for? They're out of the Europa League. The FA Cup, you know, they're playing West Ham. They've got to beat them. West Ham are very, very good against the top eight. They've got the best record against the top eight in the Premier League. So it's one of those things where if Lou Van Aal messes this up, there's nothing else for him. There is little point. Why, you know, if you're going to, if you're looking to bring Giggs on as a manager, you know, in two to three years, why not give him the rest of the season? It's just wow. not going to, for me, Lou Van Aal, this is it for him. And he knows it. He's come out in the press conference saying it's a mm. must-win game for United. But I do feel that with Lou Van Aal's record against Liverpool, it kind of, the narrative's all for this for a Liverpool win, to be quite honest. You know, four games played in the Premier League, four wins for Manchester United. If you look at the clear-cut chances that have been created, Liverpool have created six and scored no goals. Man United have created eight and scored six goals. So at the moment, United are just taking their chances in these bigger games. Another thing as well that I'd like to add, what Dave just said there about, uh, you know, Liverpool might be more up for it. With Jurgen Klopp being a brand new manager, you know, it's the beginning of his tenure. Hopefully, it's a, you know, he wins great things and achieves great things as he did at Dortmund. But a lot of these players, because he's, he's spent zero money in the transfer window, he's given all these players a, a chance to really shine and prove their worth. A lot of these players are playing for their place. 
with Liverpool Football Club. So I think that momentum's there with some of the players, like even like players that I kind of, you know, perceive as a bit bang average, like your Adam Lallanas, who are at best squad players, and mm. your Joe Allens, who are absolutely playing out of their skin because they, they want to be here or they, they've got a point to prove. I thought, what have you made of Klopp since his arrival, Nina? Because, I mean, we're talking there about the, the sort of, you know, the, the struggle for consistency, and there was such a fanfare when he arrived. Mm-hmm. Are we only now starting to see his his ideas fully take hold in the squad? And you're talking about the players there playing for their players. Are we now starting to see what he can achieve? Well, it's quite funny because uh, when uh, when FSG sacked Kenny Dalglish, Jurgen Klopp was the man that I wanted at Liverpool. Unfortunately, it was unattainable. He was flying high with Dortmund. We were once again in transition. I've always wanted this guy. Pretty much as soon as he said he's leaving Dortmund, I was pretty much after Brendan Rodgers, like, blood. I really was. I'm not even going to lie about it. I just thought, your time's come to an end. And, you know, it was meant to happen in the summer. It didn't happen. I was absolutely furious. He's come to Liverpool. He's the right man for us in a sense that, you know, we don't have the big money. uh, We can't attract the big players like, say, your Manchester City, your Manchester United. We can't pay those big wages like Chelsea. This guy works on a small budget. He's going to nurture our young players. I've always had faith in him. I knew it would take time because he's inherited quite an average squad. I, I know what I'm the I know what my squad is and the capabilities of my squad. I watch him week in, week out. I, I know where he needs to strengthen. Mm. So I I just think the man you know needs to be afforded time. And you know, he wasn't no Messiah. You know, there were some people assuming that he's gonna walk in and we're gonna win the league. Well hello people. He is a great manager but look what he's working with. He just needs time. And I think now fans are really sort of buying into it. And I think with Liverpool fans as well, certainly the local Liverpool fans, because I'm a wall, obviously I live in Manchester, you know, I, I, I'm I pretty much a disgrace to, you know, your local Liverpool fans. <laughs> but, I really am. but, you know, they, they want a manager that really understands the city, the, the history, the tradition. And this guy gets all that and he, he embodies all that. You know, you saw it at Mainz. Obviously, he was a player there and a manager. He saw it at Dortmund. And I think he's going to bring the same to Liverpool. They need that emotional kind of manager. And I think he's the right man. He's definitely transformed it off the pitch as well as on the pitch. I think you said the whole atmosphere around the club, it sort of switched as soon as he arrived. And it's, it is continuing almost that honeymoon period. Despite inconsistent results, the fans are still fully behind him and are sort of buying into the project. Absolutely, Adam. Absolutely, Adam. And you know, when, when we win, it feels great. But when we lose... I fully believe that he's going to get it right. Like when he gave that speech that we're going to come back fighting, we're not going to stay on the floor. All the fools, you know, lay down on the ground. Mm. And when he said that, I believed it because it was genuine. As for, you know, say like a Brendan Rodgers, it was repeating the same madness over and over again, right. expecting different results. And I think this manager, he's got enough experience. And, you know, Dave will vouch for me on this. He's got enough nouns and intelligence. And he's one of the best managers in the world. And he will get it right, but he just needs time. I completely agree. I think he's one of those managers that takes, he does need time. You know, look at the Dortmund squad that he inherited uh, when Mm. he came in there. It was absolutely rotten, but he cleared it out. He got players in that worked very, very hard, but he also had that finesse, you know, like Lucas Barrios, the um, sort of striker that was at Dortmund that he turned into a machine, then Lewandowski. So I think with with Klopp, it's just time. Mario Goetz would be such an interesting signing for Dortmund in the summer. I'd love Mario Mario Goetz when he was at Dortmund playing off uh, Lewandowski. He was such a good player. So good at drifting, so good at creating. You know, look at his assist record in the Champions League when he was at Dortmund. It was absolutely brilliant. So I just feel that hopefully they can, you know, reignite players like that. Players that have 
potentially gone potentially. the wrong way in their career. He can yeah. Klopp can bring them back. Players that he's worked with before, like before. Subotic like as well. Subotic is a brilliant, brilliant defender, but he's hit a bit of a sticky yeah. patch in his, his sort of career. It'd be great yeah. for him to come over to Liverpool. The Premier League is a new League. test and get him back playing get football. <laughs> I think uh, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, I think Liverpool fans must be excited about the future because once Klopp gets in his own players, that's when you'll really see him able to impose his style. Exactly. And the, the thing that I find most refreshing about uh, Jurgen Klopp as well, and obviously, you know, yourself and Dave just alluded to it, he's not going to try attracting the world-class players. Like, you know, he's not going to try going for, you know, your stellar players. Like, you know, just going to uh, take Shearer from uh, Shakhtar Donetsk, we were very interested in him. Klopp really fancied him. Shakhtar Donetsk slapped this massive transfer fee on him. Jurgen Klopp is an intelligent man, liked the player, fancied the player, but thought, I am not going to... You're not going to muscle me out of money and I am not going to pay that fee. You will not strong arm me. And you know what? He stuck to his principles. And I love that. That was so refreshing because, you know, Brendan Rodgers, God bless him, would just throw money at any problem and hope for the best. And I, I like the fact that he, 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 will, he will run the club and the club is going to be ran in a really, really intelligent way. But like he said, he's going to buy unknown players. And I want that. I want him to build a legacy. I don't want him to buy players that are just here as as a as a stopgap to bigger and better, I want him to build that legacy like he did at Dortmund. You're you, you're talking there about how you watch the team week in week out. Where do you feel Liverpool need to strengthen the summer? What are the key positions with any reinforcements? Oh well, you know what we uh, <laughs> Dave was Dave was on the Sports podcast <laughs> and uh, he he spoke about Dejan Lovren being a better defender. Basically, I think Jurgen Klopp is asking him to do the simple stuff and he's doing it effectively. For me, one of the most common denominators. Who will stand like he will be at Liverpool forever? I think Martin Skirtle, for me, he's one of the worst defenders ever. He's experienced for sure, he's experienced, but by no means is he a leader. He is a headless chicken, needs to be told what to do. Martin Skirtle needs to go. Then, you know, end of uh, a DM since Javier Mascherano's left, we have not had a DM which is why we're conceding a lot of goals, which is why people like Emre Jean and Henderson are being capped back. And, you know, we're holding back to their skill set because they're having to do a very different role. They're having to sit deep. I don't want that. I want them both to roam forward because they are box-to-box players. A DM, I certainly want. I also want a goalkeeper. My God, Simon Mignolet. At best, he's <laughs> Please give me a keeper that can kick the ball. Those are the definite places that I would look to strengthen. With Daniel Sturridge, I adore Daniel Sturridge. For me, he's second best to Kun Aguero, but his injury is a massive issue. If we can keep him fit, perfect. If not, I'd like I'd like another like-for-like kind of striker with the same sort of a skill set as Daniel Sturridge. Because I think, again, if he gets injured, we look blunt up top. And Christian Benteke is not the answer for the way Jurgen Klopp will want this Liverpool side to play. Well, yeah, what do you make of the whole Benteke situation? Because it seems Klopp obviously likes a striker who has a lot of energy, who gives a lot of movement up front. Benteke is not necessarily someone who has offered that so far. Would you like to see Liverpool try and move him on? Or do you think maybe his career could you know, come good at Liverpool? I think it'd do the player world of good if he moved on as well, because he looks really underconfident. You know, it, for me, it was real poor recruitment. I don't understand why we, why Brendan Rodgers went for this striker, knowing that he is static, he is the big target man. You look at, you know, Andy Carroll thrown under the bus by Brendan Rodgers. You look at Mario Balotelli thrown under the bus by Brendan Rodgers because they were static forwards. 
Then he goes for a Christian Benteke. Christian Benteke relies heavily to be the main target man and also heavily on crosses. Then what does Brendan Rodgers do? He goes and gets rid of our only winger in Markovic and sends him on loan to Fenerbahce. It just made no sense. It was just poor recruitment. I think, you know what, it'll do a world of good for Christian Benteke if he went to a team that suited his style of play and he could actually make a difference because I don't think he can do it here. Mm. Dave, what do you make of this striking situation in Liverpool? Because we've got Diva Garigi who started to sort of force his way into the first team. Daniel Sturridge obviously still continues to struggle with injuries. And as Nina's saying there, Benteke maybe doesn't suit this team. Yeah, he doesn't. He didn't suit Brendan Rodgers' team. You know, you look at Brendan Rodgers' team when they were flying. They played with two pretty small strikers. You know, Daniel Sturridge and Luis Suarez with you know Sterling in behind. Not not target men. I just again the recruitment is so so perplexed. I just don't understand why they get him. You know, a player Ben Teke would have suited United. United crossed the ball a hell of a lot this season. You know, and under Lou Van Gaal, it would have fit United perfectly. But with Liverpool, you wanted a short striker, someone that's going to press, someone that's going to be aggressive. You know, the Carlos Tevez, Luis Suarez mould. So signing someone like mm-hmm. Ben Teke, I just don't. I really don't understand what they're doing whether they're you know there's that that comes from somewhere whether it's the analyst whether it's the transfer committee somebody's making a terrible call there you know someone that potentially they could pick up in the summer is, is Raphael a, a Borussia Mönchengladbach striker he's been around the Bundesliga for a while he's played for Schalke played for Gladbach he's sort of coming to his, the peak of his career around 28 29 he's a really good ball player you know get the ball to his feet and people play off him you know assists creating chances scoring goals he's a very technically gifted forward and I feel that that's where Liverpool should go here you know have uh, Raphael up there get Firmino run off him, get Coutinho around him. You know, I feel that they need a player to bring players in. I think that Ben Teke is trying to do that role, coming deep and coming to the ball too much when Ben Teke should be going the other way. But then, you know, Klopp with Lewandowski sort of played this crazy role where he was a false nine, he'd come to the ball, but also he was a target man, but also he was a poacher, the complete forward. But obviously you can't get that. So I feel that Maybe Klopp should think about it and just go, OK, let's get a false nine-type player like a Raphael that's going to come to the ball, going to be able to distribute it really nicely and have these players running be- running, you know, off him, running behind him, getting the ball wide and other players come into the box. The likes of Jordan Henderson, the likes of um, Emre Chan, getting into the box without the sh- with the striker withdrawn, you know, that causes defences a whole host of problems. That's how I feel that Klopp should take Liverpool next season. On goalkeepers, I completely agree as well. I feel that Liverpool have got to you know, get a burnt Leno in, get a Sestegen in, get a, a quality keeper because Mignolet, yeah, his clean sheet record last season was brilliant everyone was raving about him but you look at him as a goalkeeper he's got no nerves he's got no bottle and he's a player that can't catch him for me for a goalkeeper that's a big big sort of you know massive <laughs> issue with his, <laughs> his style yeah, it's, it's a pretty key skill uh, why did Liverpool hand him that contract Nina because uh, maybe you're none the wiser than any of us but it seems like a it seems like an absolute mystery yeah, you should have seen Twitter fume. It was like a pot of boiling <laughs> piss. I kid you not when he got handed that contract and it was right after, I believe, the Sunderland game where we drew 2-2 where he just flapped. But I, I think, and I'm going to be as uh, politically correct as I possibly can, I think it might be to protect an asset. Right. <laughs> that makes sense. You know, <laughs> I, I think it should <laughs> him down. And I think I will be very surprised if Jurgen Klopp is not already sourcing out a goalkeeper right now, because at best he is second. And, you know, again, Brendan Rodgers trying to be all hipster, signing Bolton third choice in Adam Bogdan. I have no idea where. <laughs> and it's just ridiculous. I think at best, uh, Minnie is second choice. He's just not on par. And I think that's what it is, just to tie him down, just to have him as a second. Okay. That's I'm unbelieved that. Please don't burst the bubble. That's what I'm going. <laughs> I suppose that, you know if you think about the value, right? You know if Klopp's come in and said, yeah, potentially we're going to move 
um, move Mignolet on in the summer or so forth, you're going to get the best value out of him if you sign him on a long-term deal, right? You know, you, it mm. gives you more power in the market. So again, that's the only thing I can think of, whether he's going to be second choice or they're just trying to get that extra bit of value out when they sell him. So I think he, he'll do well at a club like Stoke, a club that concedes a lot of shots on goal. He'll do well because it means that he's in the game a lot. I think his concentration is another massive weakness um, of Simon Mignolet's yeah, And he's games. a confidence player as well. Exactly. He's a confidence player. Mm. And, I, and I feel that will, you know, with taking a lot of shots, making a lot of saves, confidence goes back up, he believes in himself again, and he'll be absolutely fine, but I just don't think he's at that level. It, it, it takes a different different skill set to be a goalkeeper at a top five team, a top six team, because you've got to be able to concentrate when your team's got the ball, and you've got to be able to still be on the ball when you're doing that. You know, Edwin Van Bissar, who's probably my favourite goalkeeper of all time, was so good at that. He was so concentrated, his positioning was so, so good, and I feel that that was something that Simon Mignolet you know, needs to massively work on if he wants to become, you know, a really good goalkeeper. Is his positioning, his his confidence, his catching, his command of his box. There's too many questions there, and I think for a club like Liverpool that potentially will be pushing next season. You know, if they miss out on the Europa League, they will be pushing for the title next season. Whether we like to, you know, whether as a United fan we like to believe it or not, they will do because Jurgen Klopp is a man that can get the best out of people. But they do need a strong goalkeeper. It's it's so critical. On tomorrow night's fixture, then, Dave, what is your score prediction for this first leg at Anfield? Versus Manchester United, what are you going for? You see, I've got a bad feeling. I've got a feeling Ooh. that Liverpool are going to are going to win two one. I just feel that Ooh. this Van Hal four wins, uh, you know, it's going to pop sometime. And I feel like to, you know on Thursday night it's going to be the time where it explodes. I just feel that Liverpool they've got momentum, like Nina's saying. I feel that it's just they want to they want to you know the fight is there for United, and I think United I just can't see them. It might take them a bit of time. It might take them a goal to react to it, and I just feel that Liverpool are going to take it. Uh, Nina, what's your score prediction? Pain. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was like yeah, me being all like fiery. No, I. You know what? We have to win because I. This. If we lose this, it's one of them. Beating them will give me the greatest joy ever. Losing to them, I go in hiding for a month. So Jurgen, don't disappoint. Let's do this. What's your? Uh, what do you reckon the score is going to be? What are you going for? I'm going to go with. Um, I don't think we'll keep a clean sheet, unfortunately. Uh, with a. You know, Mignolet and his flapping and whatnot. <laughs> so I'm going to go with, I'm going to be ballsy and I'm going to say 3 1 to Liverpool. 3 1. I think I agree. Because I'm there. Because well. I'm there. That is a hammering. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Finally, uh, Nina, before you go, uh, for the people out there who may not be familiar with your work, how did you get involved with the Anfield Index and sort of what is your show uh, all about? Yeah, it happened um, during uh, the World Cup back in 2014 and uh, Gags the owner, um, one of his, um, somebody that followed me sort of uh, contacted me and said, could you give Gags from Anfield Index a follow? And I was like, okay. So I, I followed him and he was like, hey, um, I'm, I've, I, I run Anfield Index and I'm trying to start a podcast channel mm. and I'm starting an old ladies podcast uh, called The Live of Birds and I'd really like you want to read your tweets and I've heard great things. I've looked at your timeline. I'd really like to have, um, have you as a contributor. And I kind of just stopped for a second and I thought, I don't like, I've never podcasted before as well. I was like, I really don't like the sound of my voice. I am a man <laughs> who sports Liverpool. This is going to end horribly. But I was like, okay, you can sound test me. But just to just to sort of give you um, a bit of caution, I sound like Gary Neville on Helium. So, you know, just, just be aware of that fact. And he listened to me. We did the podcast. It did really well. And uh, then I, I kind of went on and started doing more, more shows and stuff. Got my own post-match calling, which is my show. Basically, it's really raw and there's lots of emotion because it's straight off the bat of a win, loss, draw, whatever. 
and call is calling um and pretty much that's it but ai and field index as a whole we have a global sort of um reach you know we have a south african podcast we have an indian podcast mexican usa um wow. usa canada it is a global thing and it kind of keeps everyone together and their whole purpose is uh, being liverpool fans and now we've kind of branched out we do television we do um movies Fantastic. it's just an array of podcasts and pretty much i'm the editor so I have to pretty much edit every single podcast. That is my <laughs> life and that's my work purpose. <laughs> and if, uh, if the listeners want to go and check you out on Twitter where they can find you posting the podcast and sort of get more information, where, what is your Twitter handle so they can go and find you? Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter. You can follow me. It's at Nina Kauser. Pretty simple. And uh, if you are a Liverpool fan listening to this podcast, if you've got an iPhone, download the Anfield Index app. Uh, it's completely free and all that content is at your fingertips so i urge everyone to get on board with that perfect definitely go and do it um nina thank you very much for joining us no thank you so there we have it great stuff from nina definitely go and check out her show over on the anfield index download the app as she suggested there if you are a liverpool fan her score prediction was 3-1 lawrence um something i'm inclined to agree with what are you going for Oh, I'm going to go score draw. I'll go uh, one all. One all. Okay. Mm. Are you're you not very confident about this this game and the home tie. Surely the um, Liverpool can, on the form they're on recently, they can they can maybe get that extra goal that gives them the advantage going into the second leg. Well, I mean, I'll be interested to see how Jurgen Klopp does set out against Manchester United because Liverpool haven't won against them this season. Um, I, I also think it comes down to who's available for Klopp. Um, I think he's going to play a strong Premier League-esque side. Um, and I, I still think that Manchester United are a solid side. And Liverpool, I think, to some extent, United are going to say, come and break us down. And I think, uh, you know, because Liverpool are the home team in this, that sits with them. And they've struggled to do that sometimes. So I'm going to say one all. I am very excited with both these games. Uh, the first right. time I think I've ever uh, looked forward as much to a big Europa League night. We'll be giving you all our reaction on Saturday's Q&A podcast to both games. So make sure you tune in then. For now, though, Dave, if the good people, if the whole want to check you out on Twitter, where should they be going? On Twitter, they should go to Squawker Dave. Um, you know, go there, hit the follow, then go to Adam Boltwood, then Lawrence, Lozcast, sorry, drop the bomb there, but then also go onto Google. Don't drop a bomb. Type in the front number three. Ooh. Go check out the website that Lawrence McKenna has beautifully Ooh. built. A building. In, I mean, the process oh, of building. building. Yeah. We are we are building it. It's like a coliseum. We're just with the foundations are down. We're ready to get the gladiators in, but you know, <laughs> eventually it will come. Never heard a, a website uh, likened to a coliseum, but I like it a lot. Anyway, listen, guys, you can go and follow us there on Twitter. As Dave said, he did our job for us there. Make sure you follow the front three on Twitter. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. As well, send in your questions for this weekend's Q&A podcast. Until then, enjoy the Europa League and we'll see you on Saturday.